Bienvenido a otro podcast de la Iglesia C29 Granada. Esperamos que te inspire y te haga reflexionar. Hello everyone. And we're actually on to our last two studies in this in this series which we're looking at the the overall topic of after the pandemic biblical principles for lifestyle renewal thinking about the fact that life is going to be different and probably needs to be different um and we need to be thinking about what that should be looking like and developing uh, particularly over these next uh, year or two so in this last couple of sessions i want just to maybe focus a little bit more down to the issue of of lifestyle and um i i chose today the the, the title consumer christian or a sabbath christian and i hope that that will become clear or the significance of that will become clearer as we goes along to be human is to live with uncertainty to have a sense of meaning and purpose in life is to be committed to something bigger than ourselves and as christians i think we understand the meaning of that and find a lot of satisfaction in our commitment to jesus as our lord and savior even so we inevitably find ourselves sharing many of the practical questions that everyone seems to ask themselves what is the secret of happiness and what really is happiness what does it mean to be content what are my needs and what does jesus mean when he says that we must deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him what's the difference between treasure on earth and treasure in heaven and then how do i work out the practical details of an appropriate lifestyle at the beginning of the 21st century in light of our environmental crises and global warming these have been brought on by the demands for better standards of living by increasing numbers of people around the world they also depend on an economy that believes it has to keep growing and which in turn drives a consumer society well we're not going to be able to ask, answer all of those questions in these next two sessions but i'm hoping that we can we can begin to to get somewhere close to understanding and answering some of those questions in our western world we're definitely living in an age of increasing anxiety the mental health statistics simply describe what is the visible tip of the iceberg there's more anxiety there's more depression there are more there are more attempted suicides there are more achieved suicides and our increasingly secularized society has created a culture that is more and more materialistic the problem for us as christians is that we cannot escape from the culture in which we live 
we may not share the secular worldview of the society around us, but we can very easily be seduced by its values and its behaviours, perhaps even without noticing. Social scientists describe a need as something that is necessary for survival, for growth, and functioning in the best possible way. And I think our main needs can be divided into four groups. First of all, there's the needs for safety, security, and sustenance, basic basic physical needs. The second one is the feeling, feeling competent and worthy or appreciated. Feeling that, yes, we can, we can achieve something and that people do appreciate what we can do. Thirdly, we have a need for being connected to other people. And fourthly, we have a, we have a need for feeling free to act authentically or act in a way which is true to who we really are. The problem is that we live in an economy that believes that it cannot survive simply by meeting people's needs. We are told, therefore, that instead of just satisfaction, our need is for success. Ours has been a, become a culture of celebrity. They're the people whom we are encouraged to admire and to copy. And the celebrities are not just the film stars, the pop singers and the, and the sports stars that become celebrities, although they clearly are very important for younger people. Manufacturers and the advertising industry now work very closely with the likes of Google and Facebook and other social media to divide the market into many subgroups representing social and ethnic groups, age groups, their types of work, and their leisure time interests. This information is used to target advertisements and identify celebrities who already use the products that they're trying to sell to these different groups. One of the things that they reassure us about is that if we don't like it or have gotten tired of it, we can always send it back or simply replace it with a new and presumably better item. The result of all this is that we're never allowed to reach a point of being satisfied with what we have. Indeed, if we feel at all anxious about the things that we have or do not have, the advertisers are obviously very happy. Our anxiety is what they feed upon. Success today is measured in possessions, attractiveness, and popularity. The bigger, the better, and the more expensive things that we possess are measures of our status, our success, and particularly that's true if you're a man. Increasingly now it's the different brands that are being sponsored by celebrities that determine what the member, members of particular social groups need to buy. Attractiveness is especially, but not exclusively, an issue for women. 
It is, of course, most important in physical appearance, but it also applies to what's considered appropriate behavior for women and for men. Men are expected to appear strong, fatal to appear in any way weak. Women are expected to do everything without appearing to show any effort in accomplishing it. So possessions, attractiveness, and then thirdly, popularity. And that starts on the, on the kindergarten playground. It's reflected in the number of likes, shares, or responses that we get to our social media posts. The struggle for many is not just being popular. It's actually managing just to remain part of the in crowd. That sort of peer pressure is what the advertisers use to make sure that we keep up with everyone in how we look, speak, and behave, behave, and in what we buy. The worrying thing about our consumer society is that people are no longer expected to be only consumers. They themselves have become commodities that are consumed. This is true for the marketplace, and not just in situations where there is significant unemployment. In our current extreme form of capitalism, the goal is to minimize the amount of money spent on human resources. Our throwaway economy begins to apply to people as well as things. It also applies to many other relationships. Under the pressure of life, it's easy to consume people for what they can offer us. This is seen particularly in relationships between men and women and what is happening with marriage. Age of marriage is getting later and later and more and more people are not getting married. That's not so marked among men and women who are committed Christians, but the trends are nevertheless the same. The reasons are many and complex. Earlier, people got married in their early 20s. They did not have very much, but they understood that they were working together to succeed in reaching the dreams that they had. Marriage at that stage was the foundation for what the couple then set out to do. Today, instead of marriage being the foundation, it is increasingly becoming what we might think of as the capstone, the final stone that is put in place on top of an arch. Men in particular, but also women, want to succeed in getting themselves established in a career, financially secure, with the sort of apartment and car that they wanted. Then they consider getting married. The problem is that relationships before that time have a very unclear and confusing nature and goal. They tend to be used for emotional satisfaction without commitment. And the result is frequently confusion. So what does that do to the essential needs that we all have? Our sense of safety, security, and sustenance has been totally undermined by our consumer society. The advertisers don't want us to feel safe and secure. 
we need we need to buy more things, more insurance, and have greater retirement investments to feel safe and secure. Our sustenance has been replaced by the overconsumption that has created the epidemics of obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and heart disease. And then secondly, instead of people feeling competent and worthy, we actually have an epidemic of people who feel ashamed because they're not good enough, not attractive enough, not successful enough, not perfect enough, not smart enough, and so on. And thirdly, because of that shame, we're unable to be vulnerable and allow ourselves to connect in a, in, a, in a real way with other people. This is a lonely generation. Finally, we find it increasingly difficult to be free to act authentically because we no longer know who we truly are. People have been trying to keep up with the expectations of other people, real expectations, or only what we imagine they expect. The result is that we have a lot, uh, we have lost a sense of who we are and any pride or satisfaction in being who we truly are. I've spent some time on all of that because I want us to have the opportunity to reflect on the reality and the power of the culture in which we live. Each of us has to ask ourselves about the ways in which and how much we've been affected by that culture in our day-to-day thinking and acting. The response of Jesus to all this consumer culture, which creates so much anxiety, is to say, don't be anxious. By saying, be single-minded and then celebrate by keeping the Sabbath. So, first of all, don't be anxious. I think we're all very familiar with Jesus' words during his Sermon on the Mount. When he said, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I think the real question is, and I ask myself this from time to time, do we believe Jesus when he says, don't worry about your daily needs? Perhaps we try to excuse ourselves by saying that we don't really understand what he means when he says, don't be anxious. Well, in fact, we've looked at these words before in this series. We remembered that Jesus was talking to a lot of farmers who naturally had to make plans for ploughing, sowing, weeding, and harvesting their crops. They then had to carefully set aside some of the seed for sowing the next year. 
they had to plan. They had to make preparations. They had to think ahead. He's not telling them not to do all the responsible things that are necessary to be a successful farmer. He's only saying, don't worry about it. God has the situation under control. Oh, but how do we know that God has it under control? Again, we looked at this in our last study last week. Remember when Peter reminded Jesus that the disciples had all left their homes and jobs and families to follow him? Jesus promised that everyone who had left everything for his sake and the gospel would in this life receive a hundred times the number of mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, land and everything else they needed. He's saying, you have a guaranteed insurance system because you're a member of God's new family. You will never need to suffer because the family is there to take care of you. We then saw how that worked out in Jerusalem in the weeks following Pentecost. And later, when the Gentile churches in Greece and Asia Minor made collections for the Christians in Judea when they were facing a famine. We're all, as God's children, in the care of God's family. That is the chief way in which God provides for our needs. And that's the reason why he says, don't be anxious. But that obviously means that as members of that family, we, all of us, are responsible for taking our part and caring for others in the family. So Jesus continues, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble or responsibilities of its own. There are several therefores in this passage, and I've called your attention to the importance of chasing back on the word therefore when reading scripture. I think the most important therefore in this passage here is the first one. Therefore, says Jesus, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Why shouldn't we worry about our lives? The reason Jesus has just given us is as follows. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. So the second thing that Jesus is saying to us in helping us to, as it were, escape from consumerism is be single-minded. Be single-minded. 
Paul was constantly concerned about the churches becoming overwhelmed by the really powerful Greco-Roman culture that surrounded them. His response was to encourage them to get their thinking correct. It's why we have all his letters to the different churches. What they thought, what they understood, and what they believed were vital to their survival as Christian communities. At the beginning of chapter 12 of his letter to Romans, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship or your true and proper service. This is Paul saying, you need to be single-minded. You cannot serve both God and mammon. But Paul also knows that that is sometimes easier said than done. It can be difficult to know what is pleasing to God when other people are doing so many different things around you. So Paul continues, Do not conform to the pattern or the behavior or the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As another translation puts it, don't let the world around you push you into its own mold or make you into its own shape, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I think in a sense what this is saying is that you can be as committed to God as you'd like, but if your thinking remains, if your thinking remains captured by the culture around you, you will never be able to know for sure that you're doing God's will. You can be as committed to God as you like, but if your thinking remains captured by the culture around you, you'll never be able to know for sure that you're doing God's will. So, how is it possible for our minds to be renewed? I think one of the simplest answers to that or the simplest explanations to that is found in the first psalm. Wonderful psalm. And the psalmist begins by saying, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This one shows us how easy it is to be captured by the surrounding culture. You start, start by simply walking with wicked people. And after a while, you, you stop and stand and spend time in the company of sinful people. Finally, you end up sitting down with those who mock 
the people who are trying to follow God. Standing, stopping, and sitting. The, the, the road down to being captured by our culture. Those, on the other hand, are renewing their minds, are the ones who delight in God's law and meditate on it day and night. These last few months under the pandemic, we have all been stressful for us in a variety of different ways, depending on, on who we are and on our circumstances. And during that time, we've all found an enormous encouragement in the promises of God to protect us, to provide for us, and to give us peace in our hearts and minds. Because God loves us, that is why there are so many passages in Scripture that do encourage us and promise good things to us in those ways. However, what I want to suggest is that the sort of studies of God's law that we've been trying to do together over the last two months are another important aspect of taking delight in God's law and, renew and renewing our minds. For the final heading in our study today, I want to sum up what it means to follow the law in this way. Be Sabbath Christians. What do I mean by that? In in Deuteronomy, Moses records God's, God's law about the Sabbath in this way. God says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart, different, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest just as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Of course, God was the first one to rest on the Sabbath. God had been doing his work of creating on the six days of creation, and at the end of each he declared himself pleased with what he had done. And at the end of the sixth day, he said that it was all very good. In Genesis chapter 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God actually demonstrated the meaning and the significance of the Sabbath to the Israelites before he gave them the Ten Commandments. Remember, 
when he provided the manna for them to eat in the desert, he told them that each day they should collect enough just for that day. If they tried to keep it for longer, it went bad and got maggots. However, on the sixth day, they were to collect twice as much so that they had enough for the Sabbath. They didn't need to collect any on the Sabbath because what they had collected the day before didn't go bad. The Sabbath was to be a day of rest. We remember that, too, when Satan tempted Jesus to make bread from stone, Jesus replied, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 8, a passage that we looked at quite carefully um, earlier in the series. And God said, he, or Moses said, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God was teaching them first that he was the one who provided what they needed, and second, that to prosper, they had to follow his laws, all of them, and carefully. The first of those laws that concerned work and making a living was to observe the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. God's example to us is that at the end of each of our working days, we should be able to say, that was good. And at the end of six days, the end of our working wood week, we should be able to say, that was very good. And enjoy the prospect of the Sabbath rest. Six days are enough for working for what you need. Put very bluntly, I think this means that work done on the Sabbath that is related to earning our living is not going to be blessed by God. We should need to, to consider that, I think. Jesus got very cross with the religious leaders of his time who had a very legalistic approach to the Sabbath. And he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But then God, in his fourth commandment, goes on to say, on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Everyone is supposed to have a chance to rest, even the people who normally provide services for us. As we've com commented before, we live in a very different world from biblical times. But I think we need to ask ourselves how, how we can observe our Sabbath in such a way that we allow others to enjoy a Sabbath. 
at the beginning of Deuteronomy 8, God says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. God sums up his commands as love your neighbor as yourself. And over these past weeks that we've been looking at God's economy, um, as he gave it to the Israelites, we've learned that prosperity for the Israelites was by means of an economy of loving the neighbor. It was an economy of the common good. Next time, I want us to think about our consumer society and other aspects of our culture as part of the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. And to think about how we as individuals and as a community of faith can engage in that warfare to implement God's kingdom, God's economy of loving the neighbor as ourselves. Meanwhile, living in the middle of a consumer society that creates so much anxiety for so many people, let's just remind ourselves that God wants us to hear Jesus say, don't be anxious. God knows what you need. You are a child of God and part of his family. Secondly, he says, be single-minded. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And in order to do that, you need to renew your mind by studying God's law so that you can know how to please him and not be pushed around by the latest fashions of the day. And thirdly, to observe the Sabbath, to receive the Sabbath as a day of rest is to say, I have enough, and I thank God for it. Before Jesus was betrayed, he shared his last supper with his disciples. And he told them to do this in remembrance of me. I think the scriptures teach us that God tells us to observe the Sabbath in a similar way and to do it in remembrance of me. That's, that's all I want to, to say by, by, in terms of, of an introduction here. And just thinking again about some of those main points. Not being anxious, being single-minded and having our minds renewed and observing the Sabbath. There are a lot of things that we, we, can, we can discuss and talk about there, and I hope we can, we can do that. Maybe I could just start off by tossing out a couple of questions and, and see who, who would like to pick up on, on one of them. The first one is to, to say, if God's economy is about the common good and enjoying enough, is it wrong to try and be successful in business and make a lot of money? If God's economy is about the common good 
enjoying enough, is it wrong to try and be successful in business and make a lot of money? So that's the first question. See if somebody wants to rise to that. The second one is, if God said that the Sabbath should be holy, and Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, how should we think about the activities we should do or maybe should not do on a Sunday that has become our Sabbath? Let's see, see what ideas people have. Adriana, hello. Missed you early. Hello. And Carlos is here too. Good. So who's, who's going to pick up on, on, on one of those, those questions? Should we be successful? And how should we, or, and or how should we, how should we uh, behave on Sunday? Carlos, you, you look like you've got some ideas. <laughs> all right uh i was just i always have ideas not all of them are good uh, so that's all right that's all right the rest of rest of us enjoy them all let me i'm thinking about the first one so i'm gonna go on the sabbath one about what we do on on sundays i'm uh it, it, we, we can say sundays but it could be any day i think the main uh, thing is to see and choose your activities and the things you will do. So on the on that day, um, the the activities and the things you choose and pick to do mm-hmm. are somehow connecting you to to God, you know, better than the other days. And also uh, helping you to rest um, and resting away physically uh, and recharging you spiritually, perhaps, and as well as uh, mentally, because it, you know, other days are we, we are busy and it's re- really hard to squeeze time for uh, family. Uh, scripture listening to a, a song or, or or something that brings you closer to god i think that's uh how we need to choose that day whatever that day might be might not be sunday but to look for one day that where you can direct your your activities towards that great uh, others got thoughts about this Uh, well, yes, I agree with with Carlos. I think that um, it, it has to be a day when you just rest up your normal activities. So, not trying to be um, productive. I mean, not to make money that that day in the day or make activities to different to to rest or to to spend that day uh, with God and. And, and trying yeah to to be fit to be fed with with him so um yeah as you were saying six days it should be enough to do everything that we need to do and be very productive and be working or being uh, um studying in my case or 
trying to make money and everything. Um, but there should be one one day a week when you really need to stop as God really stopped the seventh day after the creation and everything. He just stopped and he just say, oh, this is this is so good. I like the way that you were saying, you, you were telling us that, that when, when he said that this is so good that we should be able to say, oh, it's good what, I do, what I've done in these six days. It's very good what I've done. Maybe I can do it better next week. Uh, I, could do, I could do it better to be more productive, but I really have to stop and And it has been like a discipline for me uh, some, yeah, some years, uh, since some years ago. Uh, and, and you can be very active to begin the new week uh, with, with, uh, with different energy and with all your strength. Yeah. It's, it's right. part of trusting God. It's part of trusting God that you don't need to be under control all the time, that you need to just relax one day. Good. Thanks, Adriana. Uh, what, what, uh, Carlos was particularly talking about doing things to, to, to rest and, and rejuvenate ourselves. What do people feel about sort of playing, playing sports, even organized sports, or, or, or things of that sort? Because for many of us, uh, our lives are increasingly sedentary. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things that we need to do is actually to get out and be active and so even organized sports might be uh, a, a, a good way of doing that. For Any me? Marila? Well, yes, but uh, not about sports because I don't like it. So it's not uh, like for <laughs> me, it wouldn't make sense. But for me, it depends in which works, right? For example, when I was working as guide, there were very, there is the high season and doesn't matter if it's Monday, Sunday, or any day. It's high season, you need to work. Then low season, it's okay. You, you will have days that you don't work. So you cannot have this, you cannot just say like, oh no, because then I think it's very religiously. And what I, one of the, one of the things I really don't like is to feel that, oh, I have to go, I, like having a schedule. I don't like, old sketches like every Sunday I have to go no if I feel it yes I know most of you don't agree but it's about because sometimes God uh, used us or me I have experience that he used me more much more outside than inside when I go to church it's like I recharge yes but uh, I see like sometimes like the church a gas station where you can I'm at the there are different functions and I am like a car because my mission is outside. So I go to the church, boom, I charge, I charge my gasoline, boom, I go. It, it depends, right? But it's good to be in contact, yes. And also, again, what is the church and what is God? It's the, now it's different because since the Holy Spirit is in our body, so before it was different, they need the Shabbat, because it was uh, all the tradition, but now if it's inside of us, so every day is like Sabbath. In this case, connected with what uh, you have to separate some time, yes, but I see it in a different way. Good, thanks, Marila. Um, I, I, I think I think the thing that Marila 
emphasizes to us is that we 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 really do have a, a, a culture and an economy, a, a, a way of life that is 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 twenty four seven, and there are there are just lots and lots of things that we all depend upon, um, whether it be an electricity supply, a hospital service, or all sorts of things for people working twenty four seven, and 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 so it it, it does come back to that. That earlier point that Carlos brought up about, you know, Sunday or or, or any day there, that there is a sort of sense of of um, some freedom of choice there. But you know, I, I I go back to also to the the point that God made that you know it's yes you rest, but also your sons and your daughters and your servants and your animals and and everybody else. In other words, all of the people that you ordinarily rely, rely upon to help you, you need to um, make sure that they get a rest. How uh, is there a way in which that can apply to our to our lives today, or is it just too complicated and we have to accept that everybody has to be flexible and work this out for themselves. Can I just, uh, picking up a, a little bit, I think it, it is hard and it is, um, for some people might be impo impossible and, and schedule and, you know, I like sports and it's a way that I, um, not much physical rest, but it is, um, for relief, stress relief is it works for me. It's very good. I feel good about it. But I think the main thing we need to look at is being really honest with ourselves and, and with God, because we can find excuses for not doing something and and say that it's the Sabbath or I'm taking this day. And it's really a hard issue that we need to to look into it. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, even for me, uh, like I say, I don't want to do something. And I say, well, I don't want to do it. So my excuse is I'm resting today. It's just like I'm finding an excuse for it. And I can do that. And nobody will know but me and and me and God. And it's being honest with God. And, and, and when you, for example, if I don't want to go to church, okay, it's a schedule. I don't, I'm not, don't feel like it today. And... You know, be honest with me in, in, in prayer and say, God, search my heart. And why am I not wanting to do this? It is for me to do or not to do. And and, and just being honest uh, with, with God and with ourselves. And we'll, he will show us the where we are at. Let me try let me try and pick up on, on a couple of things. Sort of going, going back to when you were saying about the sports, you know, is it okay on Sunday or is it not? Um, I think it's why are you doing it? Are you, are you part of the sport because it is something that refreshes you, that distresses you, that is, that is good for you? Or are you part of the sports team because you really want to win and you want to be part of the championship team and, and so forth? It's sort of the, the, the motivation um, behind it. I think the other other thing that I wanted to want to just uh, raise is 
there are different seasons in life and there are there are different and and we are differently busy in different seasons and i think it's it's the sabbath is not it's got to be every seventh day and obviously there are some groups that say it's got to be a sunday um it's, it, there are people who work I, suddenly the, the the thought that came to mind people who work on this this offshore oil drills you know they they are working for a certain period of time and then they have a certain period of time off so we can't in my opinion we can't be sort of legalistic about it but the of course is, yeah there needs to be time taken for for that sabbath uh, for both ourselves same way you are you ask you know people who work for us i mean again you have people who i mean in england they talk about the blue laws um they they you know some years ago the shops could not open on sunday because there were there were blue laws but now there are most of the shops are working on sunday uh, at least many many are is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? I think the more important suggestion to me is the people who work in that shop, um, who keep who keep the system working, do are they in their contract, their work contract, are they provided enough time for their rest and relaxation? Exactly. Taking, yeah. Taking a Sabbath. So, just no, a I agree. couple of tuppence worth of my. My, my thoughts, but as uh, as Carlos says, I have lots of opinions, but I'm not always sure they are the right ones. <laughs> That's the problem in being legalistic also, like what Israel does. Some communities, Sabbath is Sabbath, Sabbath, and legally, like you see it uh, 100%. And I like the phrase like Sabbath is not made for, we are not made for the Sabbath, but uh, how was it? <laughs> the Sabbath not... was made for us. Yeah. Yes. So the Sabbath was made for us. So it's about resting because you also, in church, you can see that you can have too much things like, oof, doing this, organizing this, then this is like Marta, right? Or Maria, the one that was working, Marta, the one that was working too much. Mm-hmm. So Sabbath is not about being legalistic, but about having this rest inside. Valeria, you're very quiet. You're looking very pensive. He's <laughs> resting. No, I was, just, I was just thinking about um, the question that Ian asked about uh, it is wrong to be successful in business. And, um, and I think no. I think uh, you can be very successful and you can do things very good, but for the glory of God, you know, it's where is your heart? I think the bottom thing is you go deep inside and you check your heart. What are the reasons that you are doing what you're doing in whatever you do? You know, if you have a business, if you are an owner of something, gosh, you can use your business to really, really to glorify God with how you have, you know, if you are a mom, do your best work with your kids. If you are a wife, just, you know, do your best as a wife because we can glorify God, you know, with our 
with our lives. But I think, yes, I think you actually, you should be very successful in what you do. That's what I think, you know, because with the mentality again, that you are doing for God, with the mentality that you are doing to glorify God, you are doing your best and you're reaching out, you know, using your business to reach out, whatever the business, you know, you are doing. But I think that, um, there is nothing wrong if your motives are in the right place. Right. Yeah, I agree with uh, I agree with Valeria. It depends. Everything depends of your motivation of what is in your heart when you are when you are doing things when you are trying to be successful. If I want to be successful because I want everybody to look at me and to admire me and just oh yeah. Or if I really want to be successful, to bless other people. Uh, actually, yesterday I was talking with a friend. She's doing his uh, her her PhD, and I was asking her how is she doing with her living expenses. And I was surprised with her answer because she told me that it, it was a guy that is a friend of another friend, and and he has his his own company. Uh, I think it's in Colombia or in North America, I don't remember, but the, this guy is just providing the money so she can do her investigation. And he told her that uh, he does that with a lot of his employees because they, he wants them to be educated and that he knew that it was difficult to, for him when he, when he did his PhD to have the money. So is his reason to, to be successful, to, to be like um, uh, helping others to, 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 to reach the, the goal. So it's, it's like that. And he's very successful. He has his own company and now he's providing other people and he's being generous with his success. That's, that, that's super. That's super. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we, could, we, we, we can all be successful we can be successful and produce a lot of money. And again, what do we do with that money? We can, we can equally be, be successful in whatever it is that our, our job is. It may be making some beautiful things. It may be making some useful things. It may be providing a service in a way which is really uh, appreciated by people. In other words, the quality, uh, the effectiveness of, of our work can be satisfying and appreciated by others. Our, our work can create networks with people. It can bring people together um, in, in various sorts of ways. And at the same time, also, it, it can... Um, provide us a, a means of really being true to ourselves, of being an authentic person. All of those sets of the, the, the main human needs, we, we can seek to be successful in, 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 in all of those areas. I think the, the problem is when we have to get more money because we're insecure. We have to get more money because we feel that lots of money and the things that it can buy is the only way that we can prove to people who we are and our status. 
and it's it, and 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 it it becomes a matter of of our identity, or it becomes a matter of of simple simple greed. If if all of those things, if those sorts of things are in place, then no. And I think the other thing I keep on reminding myself is that you know we were looking at Romans twelve earlier on. Go on in Romans twelve, and it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and 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 one of those gifts is being able to provide money or things for other people. And clearly what, what we're told or what, what Paul was telling the Romans was, well, if you do, if that's your gift, give generously. But obviously if you're going to be able to give generously, then God has giving, given you the gift, not only to be successful in what you do through your business, but also to get money, which is then useful for meeting the needs of other people and, and, and his work. Great. Thank you, everybody. Super, super ideas in that discussion. And as I say, next week, um, I, 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 I want us just to, to, to delve into the whole business of the culture and to, to think about that in terms of the spiritual warfare that we're all part of. And, and 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 just see what that looks like, and and how we as individuals and as a community of faith can engage in that spiritual warfare, not just in a defensive way, in a sense protecting ourselves from temptation and the and and the the, the force of the culture, but actually engaging with our culture and changing it and reclaiming it for the kingdom of God. So that's where we're going to finish up next week. Um, so I look forward to that. In the meantime, let's just say a prayer and, and thank God for, for what we've learned today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of this scripture that we've looked at today. Thank you for the reassurance from Jesus that we don't need to be anxious because you know our needs and you've, we are your children and you've put us in your family so that our needs can be met. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we need to be single-minded and seeking your kingdom and your righteousness. And we pray that we may be both single-minded and also use our minds and train our minds so that we can really know what is your will and your and your practice. And lastly, Lord, thank you for the Sabbath that, that you have given us. Thank you for the opportunity of rest and recuperation. Thank you for the opportunity of stopping just to remind ourselves that all that we have is from you. It can be enough, and we need to give you thanks. And that's what we do now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Gracias por escucharnos. Te invitamos a visitar nuestra web c29granada.es y a conectar con nosotros en nuestras redes sociales arroba c29granada.